So we've had a lot going on in the church in the last couple of months, and especially this past week or so, we've been very, very busy. And if you volunteer at this church, you know that is true, especially considering the week that we had last week, where we had so many things going on for our Holy Week season, along with being able to honor a family during a memorial service. So I must admit, I kind of approached this week a little tired, a little dragging my feet, and uh, not with the normal amount of energy that I normally had. And life as well typically sends us curveballs every now and then, sends us trials and seasons that we have to go through. But as I was thinking about this message, I continued to pray because it was a little difficult to write this message this week because of all of that going on. So I continued to pray and I just continued to ask the Lord to help me as I took time to exposit God's word. And I really felt like it was important for us to read this text, to kind of break from 1 Samuel and enter into 2 Samuel. Because we're going to be looking at the life of David. And if you remembered last week, or last time we were in this text, we looked at specifically David versus Goliath. And we talked about how David's focus Focus on God really played the part on him being able to defeat Goliath. Well, today we're going to be looking at what I would call one of the greatest moral failures of a biblical figure that we see in Scripture. And honestly, it's a story in scripture that is difficult to read because we see somebody that we respect so much making a grave mistake in his own life. But I think his failure, as well as the success that he had in his life, are all dependent upon this one idea that I'm going to be preaching on today. And that is specifically the idea of losing focus in our lives. You see, I believe our focus is so important to how we are called to live our faith. So if you would, join with me in 2 Samuel chapter 11. For those of you that have your Bibles, turn there with me. If not, I'll have it on the screen for you. I'm reading out of the New International Version And we're just going to read a single verse right now, but hopefully we'll make our way through the entire chapter, but we'll be skipping around a little bit. And it says this, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But read this last portion with me. But David remained in Jerusalem. Now, considering the last time that we interacted with David, we saw him as a mighty warrior, as a young man who demonstrated to God his devotion, his desire for excellence, his desire for God to make a difference in his life as well as the life of Israel. David's focus on God is what truly brought him victory. 
And ultimately, while we continue to look at the life of David, we see how his focus on the Lord truly continues to bring victory after victory in his life. And how God eventually makes good on his promise and allows David to be king over Israel. It's an amazing story to read, and if you've never read the life of David, I encourage you to do that. But yet this verse, verse 1, is so important because in this verse, we probably see the turning point in David's life, and you could have easily missed it. You see, David was known as a man after God's own heart, which is such a beautiful thing to be called. But yet what was about to happen to him would change the trajectory of his life, but not just his life, his kingdom and his entire family. And for that reason, I'm going to give you guys the big idea for today a little bit earlier than I normally do. Because I think in this big idea, we'll see exactly why David goes in a bad direction. And that's this reason right here. Because our focus determines our direction. Our focus determines our direction in life. You see, when David was focusing on God, when he allowed his mind and his life to be influenced by where God wanted him to go, he saw blessings in his life. Don't get me wrong, that's not a prosperity type gospel I'm trying to preach, but rather it was a truth that when he focused on God, he allowed God to be able to interact and change in his life. But what happens in verse 1 that is easy for us to miss? Again, I'll read it for you. It says that in, a spring, at, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites, besieged Rabbah, and then here was the important part of the verse. But David remained in Jerusalem. What was David doing? He was forgoing his kingly duties to be where he needed to be. And the author of the text wants to make sure that you do not miss that. You see, it was a time where kings went off to war, but the author makes makes sure that we know where was David? In Jerusalem. You see, I don't know why, We don't know why David chose to stay behind and not go with his soldiers and continue to fight the fights that he was entrusted to. But for whatever reason, he decides to stay back. And I cannot help but think that a part of the reasons why that he did this was because in some ways he let his guard down. He got comfortable maybe with his success and did not want to do what a king should do. And because of that, he forsook his duties to go to war. And instead of seeing himself as a servant appointed by God, he became a comfortable king. You see, I think... 
that moral failure often comes at the intersection of success and blessing. I'll say that again. Moral failure often comes at the intersection of success and blessing. You see, I believe that when we are successful, it's easy for us to think that it comes from ourselves. That somehow we were responsible for our success and that any decision we make will be a good decision. How can anything go wrong after all? And yet this is the trap that David was giving into. He wasn't realizing that his blessings was not necessarily dependent upon himself, but it was dependent upon the God who he was focusing on. You know, this quote that I'm going to share with you I've used it in the past to talk about the importance of this idea of moral failures and how often it comes at the intersection of success and blessing. And I looked at this quote again this week, and it hit me a little differently. Because the reality is, is the person who wrote this quote in recent times, it has been exposed that they too fell. And they fell in some terrible ways. And it was a sad thing, I know, for myself, as well as many of, uh, of you in the congregation who had a lot of respect for this individual. And I debated whether I was still going to share this quote with you guys. But I thought at least this quote captures well a truth and in a reality as well because of this individual's own moral failure. And it comes from Ravi Zacharias, and I'll put it on the screen for you. And it says this, More people fail in catastrophic proportions, not when they are in the valley of struggle, but when they are riding the crest of success. More people fail in catastrophic proportions, not when they are in the valley of struggle, but when they are riding the crest of success. You see, temptation comes when we turn our focus away from God because our focus determines our direction. It is easy for us to to then lose that focus, and then what happened? Temptation comes. And that is exactly the situation that we're going to see in David. David's absence from battle was not necessarily a sin, but in some ways it prevented him from doing what God was calling him to do. Now the question that I naturally think of that we need to ask ourselves is what are the things in our own lives that take away our focus on God? Maybe there's something that we are engaging in, something that we're watching, some music that we're listening to, some behaviors that we entertain, conversations that we get involved in, or things that we just neglect in our lives. And we fool ourselves by saying, well, it's not really a sin, but in reality, what it's doing to us is it's taking our focus off of God and allowing there to be an opportunity for what to come in in its place. Temptation, sin. This is why scripture tries to remind us and tries to tell us that in life, many things may be permissible, but not all these things are beneficial for us. 
So let's keep on reading in David's life to see what happens next. So at a time when kings go off to war, David remains in Jerusalem. And in verse 2 it says, One evening David got up from his bed, walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. So David is not where he needs to be. His focus is not on God. And then what happens? He sees a beautiful woman bathing. Now, up into this point, we don't know exactly what's going through David's mind, but there are basically two options that exist here. Option one is to look the other way and get his focus back on God. That's one option that David could have, is he can just simply say, you know what, I just saw something that I shouldn't have seen, I'm going to take the time now, and I'm just going to turn my attention from that, and I'm going to look away. Church, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you feel that tension swelling up in yourself, where you know that maybe the situation that you're in right now isn't healthy, that it could produce something a bad fruit in your life, that is your opportunity. That could be the Holy Spirit nudging you and allowing you to know, I need to move in a different direction. I need to turn my head and, and, and look away. That could have been one of the options for David. Or really, the second option is what? To let his eyes linger. You know, so often it is easy for us when we desire something that, that is not godly to do what? To let our eyes linger. We, for whatever reason, deceive ourselves and think to ourselves, well, I'm just, I'm not engaging in the sin, I'm just looking. And we all know the things that we do when we let our eyes linger. But know this, that when we do that, what we're doing is opening ourselves up to what? For temptation to sink its hooks in and for us to not be able to honor God. We need to be careful, church. David let his eyes linger. And because David wasn't focusing on God and being his servant king, he placed himself in a situation that he would be easily tempted in. It's so important, church. I can't stress it enough for us to have the situational awareness, if you will, to realize that when these moments happen, that there are two pathways that we can go down. That we can either continue to try to pursue God and what he has for us, or we can try to open ourselves up to sin. Henry Nowen, in The Inner Voice of Life or of Love, he writes this, to live a disciplined life is to live in such a way that you want only to be where God is with you. 
Does that speak of your life? Do you want to live in a way where only God is with you? The more deeply you live in your spiritual life, the easier it will be to discern the difference between living with God and living without God, and the easier it will be to move away from the places where God is no longer with you. If our eyes are not focused on God, then we run the risk of going astray. David gave in to his temptation after this. What happened after this is he called for one of his servants to go investigate who this woman was. He comes back and tells him who she is, and he calls for her and brings her into his bedroom and unfortunately sleeps with her. And what's interesting about this whole entire situation is that we end up finding out that this woman named Bathsheba was actually married to another man, Uriah the Hittite. But yet that did not stop David. And from here, we see a progression happening, right? David foregoing his duties to go to battle, then doing what? Then going to his rooftop and looking at a woman inappropriately, then what? Then investigating who that woman was, finding out she was married, and then what? Bringing her into his own bedroom chambers, and then what? And then sleeping with her. Make... No mistake, sin has a way of just progressively getting worse and worse and worse and worse, which is why in our lives we need to be so vigilant over these things because we do not want to allow these seeds to grow in us. It's why we look to the person of Christ to help redeem us as people because the reality is, is without Christ's presence, without his Holy Spirit's influence in our lives, it's so easy for us to go astray and for matters of the heart to just get worse and worse and worse because sin and the stakes of sin always get higher and higher and higher. So what ends up happening next? While Bathsheba is sent away and David in some ways thinks, well, looks like I got away with it until a note is passed to David, and in that message, just a few simple words, and I know many of you know the story, but for those that don't, those few simple words are, I am pregnant. And all of a sudden, the situation gets a little bit more real. And what started off as just forgoing his duties as king has now turned into a full-fledged affair and a child that has now got caught up in the situation. So what does David do? Does he repent? Does he ask for forgiveness? Does he try to figure out how to handle this situation and make some redemption out of a terrible sin that he committed? No. What he does is, is he gets caught up in the snares of sin and he tries to hide it even further. 
So he finds out that Uriah is actually fighting in his own army. So he calls for Uriah and he invites him into his palace and he encourages Uriah in some ways to enjoy all the creature comforts of a king. Why? Because he's hoping that Uriah will then go home and sleep with his wife and be none the wiser. But unlike David, Uriah is, is demonstrating incredible righteousness at this time. And he says to David, I can't even think about going home because there are my countrymen fighting battles right now. And who am I to be able to enjoy the company of my wife while other people are sleeping in tents? So David, once again, trying to cover up his sins, he gets Uriah drunk, but Uriah, despite being completely inebriated, still holds to what he believes in. So realizing that his options are running thin, David desperately makes another attempt. But this time, he goes and he writes a note, and he gives this letter to Uriah, and in it, uh, Uriah has specific instructions to give this to the commander of David's army, Joab. Joab opens up the note, and he reads it, and in it, it says this, to send Uriah to the fiercest part of the battle, and while the fighting is at its highest, most intense moment, withdraw all your troops around Uriah and allow him to die. So what started off as just forgoing kingly duties, then turned into lust, then turned into an adulterous relationship, then turned into a pregnancy situation, then turned into getting a man drunk and trying to deceive him, now turns into what? Murder. And exactly that happens. But Uriah not only dies, but other countrymen also die who are fighting around Uriah. And David thinks that, well, that's taken care of. I got away with it. But here's the truth, church. Sin will always leave and make its mark. Sin will always make its mark. You know, one of the men that I enjoy reading of from recent history within the last hundred years is Eric Little. Some of you may have seen his story on a famed movie, Chariots of Fire, which is a fantastic film if you've never seen it. Well, Eric Little was an Olympic runner from the 1930s and a Chinese missionary. And during World War II, he was giving a message on sincerity. And he told this story of a sculptor in ancient Rome with less than reputable standards. And what this sculpture would do is he would, he would take a sculpture that maybe was broken or chipped or, or, or just not in the right appearance or standard to admire. And what he would do is, is he, would, he would go and he would put wax on the areas that had defects and he would fix those defects. 
And then Eric Little continues to share in this story, and he says, but what oftentimes would happen would be in the heat of the day, when the sun was at its strongest, the wax would begin to melt, and all the blemishes that were hidden by this wax would then begin to appear, and you would see what? You would see the sculpture for what it is. And then he said these words, if we allow cracks and blemishes to appear, in our faith then ignore them or attempt or and then ignore them or attempt to cover them up we aren't being truly sincere either we must strive to make our faith the perfect work we are then sincere to ourselves and sincere to god you see i think that is incredibly wise And I think David wasn't being sincere to himself in his situation, in the sins that he was committing. In church, I cannot admonish you enough to be able to realize this, to take sin seriously in your life. Because we too oftentimes try to lift the rug up and sweep our sins under the rug and hope and pray that people won't find out. But like those ancient sculptors in Rome that tries to hide up the blemishes of a work, one day our sins will be exposed. It's amazing how oftentimes that happens, right? How we see somebody who had some closet sins in their lives and eventually it makes its way out. But listen, don't just care about this because you're worried about your reputation. Because the reality is, is that our reputations, what people think about us, it pales in comparison to what the Lord considers of us. Do you hear me with that? Do you consider that in your life? You see, we need to care about these things because God cares about these things. And the reality is, is that when we don't take the sins in our lives seriously, then what we end up doing is we end up opening ourselves up to pain in our lives. But we don't just open our own selves up to pain in our lives, but we do what? We open others to it as well. And David's life is a perfect picture of that. That his sins did not just affect his own life, but what it affected the lives of many, many, many other people. Because hurt people hurt people, and unfortunately, sin has a way of doing that. It's why when we look at this world, we see the fractured marks of what sin has done to it. And look, I'm talking a lot about sin today, but... I want us through this picture to realize that it matters, that we need to take it seriously because our focus determines our direction. We need to make sure that in all matters of our lives, we remain focused and fixed on God. Amen? You know, eventually the Lord would work out this situation and it's a sermon from an, for another time but God would do business with David and God would expose David's sin not just to himself but to those around him 
and the consequences of David's sin affected him, it affected his family, and it affected his entire kingdom for generation after generation after generation. And God was still merciful to forgive David, but his sins still had a consequence. It still had a rippling effect that went out. But I appreciate David still because even though he makes a mark with his sin in his life, his life is still a reminder that God is the only one that could deal with our sins and that when we make mistakes in life, we need to do our best to go quickly to God. Now, earlier it was totally unplanned. Phil, during our congregational prayer time, read from Psalm 51. And in fact, I have Psalm 51 planned for my message today. So make no mistake, I think the Lord wants us to hear Psalm 51 today. Listen to David's posture. It's believed that David wrote Psalm 51 after he sinned with Bathsheba and was confronted by Nathan. He says these words in light of his own moral failure. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of of bloodshed. Who do you think he's thinking about there? Uriah, of course. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not make pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. Church, David acknowledged his sin, and God immediately forgave him for that. There were some unavoidable consequences to what he set in motion. And I want to reflect that back to us. Because the truth is, is that there are things that we have done, wounds that we have created, ways that we have tried to hide the filth in our own lives to prevent watchful eyes from seeing and exposing the true persons that we are. 
But here's the thing, church. We just celebrated this over this past Sunday. That's why we need the person of Jesus. That's why we take the resurrection so seriously, because it is an ever-present reminder of God's grace and love that he's able to restore and rescue us from the midst of any situation that we may find ourselves in. Yes, the consequences may exist still within this world, but the freedom of having forgiveness in your life and a clear conscience and knowing that you are directing your focus back to God is completely redemptive. It's why in this life we preach and we know that death has lost its sting. It's why we know that through scripture that we can actually overcome the things in this world that lead us astray. But I think in order for us to do that, we need to be mindful of how our focus determines our direction. And I must ask, are you focusing on God? See, I believe that God is calling us to focus on him so that our passions in life can be restored. That God is calling us to focus on him so that our families can be restored, that God is calling us to focus on him so that our relationships can be restored, our marriages, our hopes, our dreams, the things that he has built inside of us that we know that he is calling us to, that unfortunately at times gets fractured because of the sin that we allow. That God is ultimately calling our destinies to be restored, amen? I know I need God to restore in me certain things that are broken, certain things that I can only look to him to receive. But that starts with me taking the time to focus on him and allow him to determine my destiny in my direction in life. Let's pray.